coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. So if you have a baby, are you going to make homemade baby food? Uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm a realist, you know, (laughs) time is, time is precious. So we'll see. So we're hiking. We found the shed where they had this awesome soup, which was like a base of sauerkraut and potatoes and our sausage we call kibasi. Yeah. And uh, I tasted it and my mother's side of the family is from Cleveland and they had a butcher who made kibasi. And I, Kevin Laurie, it tasted exactly the same. Oh, wow. wow. That was probably one of the coolest things halfway around the world divided by generations, maybe a couple hundred years of, but the recipe was tasted exactly the same. That's so cool. Have yeah. you have you ever had kibasi? I or? haven't. Funny, bring, I grew up with. Yeah, you can bring some, sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's different. It's it's. I was executing something. It's my first year. The chef's like, you need to do that faster. I'm like, well, chef, I want to make sure it's correct. Which do you want, correct or faster? He goes, both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the other thing that I really 100 percent agree with is the community over competition with the restaurants in this in this town totally it is 100 percent correct i remember when stillwater when i was at trist stillwater opening they came over they're like chef do you have any avocados and I'm, absolutely there you go what else do you need you know it's you know it's not i personally believe that you'll breed more ingenuity and more creativity when you don't have that kind of mindset i mean i'm as arrogant as any other chef but <laughs> I, I i've never Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, our featured guest is Chef John Robin. We met John a few years ago at Trist, and currently he has upped the food game at Trophy Fish. At the top of the show, we'll talk pork butt, dinosaur chicken nuggets, and the evolution of American cuisine. We have have a a great great show, show, so stick stick around. around. Hey, Lori, have you ever been to Noble Crust? I have. What do you like there? Pork belly, pimento cheese, and fried green tomatoes are my favorite. Oh, yeah, I love that one, too. They actually call it the FGBLT. It's fried green tomatoes, pork belly glazed with a Tabasco honey sauce and pimento cheese. Mm -hmm. And it's the first item on the menu, so you can't miss it. And I think they should actually call it the OMG. Yeah, you've said that before. The chicken marsala is really good, too. It has chicken and chicken sausage, criminy mushrooms, and four cheese grits. It's so delicious. I love that they mix classics from the American Deep South and Italy. Noble Crust is famous for their fried chicken. I love it. Yeah, and the eggplant parmesan is out of this world. When we do a best eggplant parm list, it'll definitely be on there. Yes, it will. 
Speaking of lists, Noble Crust made six of them recently. Best Italian, Best Casual Dining, Best Pizza, Best Bloody Marys, Best Meatballs, and, believe it or not, Best Salads. Ooh, ooh can I tell you another one of my favorite items? Yeah. The spaghetti and meatballs. It's oh, so good. Man, you're not kidding. You know what? They have a brunch on Saturdays and Sundays starting at 10.30, which I love. And the deviled eggs are to die for. Let's go to Noble Crust right now. I'm in. Let's do it. Where can you find the freshest fish in St. Pete? Well, you can't get fresher than caught that day. That's what you'll find at Trophy Fish. The Day Boat Special includes the fresh catch of the day, cooked how you want it, with your choice of two sides and a house-made sauce. They also have some incredible appetizers, like grilled street corn that's like crack, that stuff's so good, incredible grilled oysters, fresh fish spread, and much more. You will also find some options for the land lovers out there. All of this set in a setting that makes you feel serene and relaxed with your toes in the sand, like a day at the beach. They like to call their concept, Bait Shop Chic. So head on down to Trophy Fish, where you can grab a boat drink from their full bar and fill your tummy with the freshest catch around. Trophy Fish is located at 2060 Central Avenue in the Grand Central District. They are open Wednesday through Friday at 5 p.m., Saturday and Sunday at 12 to 3 for brunch and at 5 for dinner. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number no. 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years, and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete Foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. They also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number no. 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. Check out Engine Number no. 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. Their burgers can't be beat. This is time for our conversational segment, and it's going to be slightly longer than usual. And one reason is because it's going to be the last one. This is our second to last show. Surprise. So a follow-up from last week on pork butt. Last week, we talked about the uh, pork carnitas recipe where we used pork butt and pork belly. And I told you that pork butt is not actually the pig's rear end. Right. It's a shoulder. Yeah. So this is from Serious Eats. That's one of my favorite food sites. I mean, they have recipes, but they have like scientific stuff, educational stuff. It's really cool. So Serious Eats says, the butt does not actually come from anywhere near the rear of the animal. In colonial New England, butchers packed inexpensive cuts of meat into large barrels called butts for storage and transportation. The shoulder meat packed into these barrels became known as pork butt and the name stuck. The rear of the animal isn't referred to as the butt at all, but from the pig's hindquarters, butchers carve fresh hams. Ah. And you have a diagram there that I gave you. That's also from the same article on Series Each. You can see the different cuts. Right. So we were talking about pork belly, and so I figured I'd also say, what's the difference between pork belly and bacon? What is? Not a lot. 
uh, how it's handled, basically. So this one's from the Detroit Free Press. Pork belly, like bacon, starts out from the underside of the belly of the pig. But don't think of the word belly as in stomach. Rather, it's the flesh that runs on the underside of the pig. Pork belly is uncured, unsmoked, and unsliced bacon. Huh. So bacon is mostly cured. You can buy uncured bacon. Smoked and sliced. Typical American bacon is cured with salt and also smoked. Pancetta, an Italian bacon, is cured with salt and spices, but not smoked. Oh, wow. So pancetta, bacon, and pork belly are all, all come from the same place. They're just treated differently. Right. And now see the diagram there? Mm-hmm. See the ham hocks? I do. I have queued up in my bookmarks something I'm going to make for you that I thought you would like. It's a shrimp and okra stew mm-hmm. that uses the ham hock as the base for the broth. Yum. And that's from the Cook's Country website, which is also a magazine. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think they still do print. I'm not sure. So in Apple News, I saw this. How steak became manly and salads became feminine. Yeah, I'd like to know that because I'm not, <laughs> you know. You know me. Yeah. I'm a steak girl. I know. A lot of times we go out and I order fish and you order steak and they're giving me the steak and you the fish. We're like, no, it's the other way around. Right. Such so stereotypical. Somebody has to be the girl in this relationship. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and the subhead says, food didn't become gendered until the late 19th century. And this is from author Paul Friedman. And his book is American Cuisine and How It Got This Way. This is actually the, not the article. So from that article, they had, it, he wrote this little intro to promote his book. Mm-hmm. Then I clicked through to the book. This is actually the write-up on the book. Okay. Which I thought was better than the article. Okay. So for centuries, skeptical foreigners and even millions of Americans have believed there was no such thing as American cuisine. In recent decades, hamburgers, hot dogs, and pizza have been thought to define the nation's palate. Not so, says food historian Paul Friedman, who demonstrates that there is an exuberant and diverse, if not always coherent, American cuisine that reflects the history of the nation itself. Combining historical rigor and culinary passion, Friedman underscores three recurrent themes, regionality, standardization, and variety that shape a complete novel history of the United States. From the colonial period until after the Civil War, there was a patchwork of regional cooking styles that produced local standouts, such as gumbo from southern Louisiana or clam chowder from New England. Right. Later, this kind of regional identity was manipulated for historical effect and in southern cookbooks that mythologized gracious, quote, plantation hospitality, rendering invisible the African-Americans who originated much of the region's food. Correct. Right. That's, it was a huge contribution. We learned that in Charleston. Yeah. As the Industrial Revolution produced rapid changes in every sphere of life, the American palate dramatically shifted from local to processed. A new urban class clamored for convenient modern meals and the freshness of regional cuisine disappeared, replaced by packaged and standardized products such as canned peas, bologna, sliced white bread, and... Spam. (laughs) Yes, spam. Well, that's one of our favorites, I guess. (laughs) This is the era we grew up in. I know. I'm, I'm getting to that. And jarred baby food is another one. So by the early 20th century, the era of homogenized American food was in full swing, bolstered by nutrition, quote, experts, marketing consultants, and advertising executives, food companies convinced consumers that industrial food tasted fine, and more importantly, was convenient and nutritious. No group was more susceptible to, to the blandishments of advertisers than women who were made to feel that their husbands might stray if not satisfied with the meals provided at home. On the other hand, 
men wanted women to be svelte, sporty companions, not kitchen drudges. This is the messaging of the advertising and marketing. Right. The solution companies offered was time-saving recipes using modern processed helpers. Men supposedly liked hearty food, while women were portrayed as fond of fussy, dainty, colorful, but tasteless dishes, tuna salad sandwiches, multicolored jello, or artificial crab toppings. Oh, God. The 1970s. That would be crab with a K. Yeah. So (laughs) 1970s, when we grew up, so the zenith, and we talked about this this past weekend. We did. The zenith of processed food. Do you need help? H-E-G-E-M-O-N-E. H-E-G-E. I think it's a typo. I don't think that's a word. Hegemon? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) But also the beginning of a food revolution in California. What became known as the New American Cuisine, which rejected the blandness of standardized food in favor of actual taste and pleasure that seasonal, locally grown products provided. The result was a farm-to-table trend that continues to dominate. Thank God. The book also talks about how dry cereal was created by William Kellogg for people with digestive and low energy problems. I I saw that on one of the food shows I was watching on, uh, I think it was on Netflix. And that chicken parmesan, the beloved Italian favorite, is actually an American invention. This we know. Yes. And that Florida key lime pie goes back only to the 1940s and was based on a recipe developed by Borden's Condensed Milk. To sell more product, of course. Right. And more emphatically, Friedman shows that American cuisine would be nowhere without the constant influx of immigrants who have popularized everything from tacos to sushi rolls. So there. (laughs) And finally, in the Wall Street Journal, there's an article, We Live in a Golden Age of Dinosaur Chicken Nuggets. The, quote, fun nugget boomlet taught makers to use fewer spikes, leave room for breading, now perfecting Baby Yoda's ears. So it turns out that dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets are a big thing and that food companies actually have people that specialize in creating food that's shaped like other things. Really? So, for example, Mark Tolbert works for Purdue. Last year, when he was designing a Thanksgiving-themed nuggets in the shapes of a whole turkey and a drumstick, Mr. Tolbert bought cookie cutters in those shapes and traced them onto drafting paper. He paired the eight feathers along the back of the turkey down to three large curves because the breading typically adds about an eighth of an inch, he says. The turkey's skinny legs and feet had to be widened so they wouldn't break off during packaging or shipping. Hmm. So this is like, this is somebody's job. This is very odd to be eating a turkey-shaped chicken nugget. I know. A turkey nugget, maybe, but a chicken? There's only one that I might eat that's got the end. So members of Purdue's marketing, operations, research, and development teams consult on nugget shape, nugget weight, and nugget density. Batches must withstand flash freezing, then are dropped as far as four feet into packaging. Broken pieces. That's what we don't want, Mr. Tolbert says. If you dump nuggets on a tray to put in the oven, you don't want to see a pile of dust. Right. He says working with chicken nuggets is easier than his previous role designing novelty noodle shapes for Campbell's soup. If you had a smiley face, the eyes in the middle of the circle can't just float. They have to be connected to other parts of the pasta, he says. Dinosaur nuggets, and here's, it gets worse, okay? It's bad enough that we have dinosaur-shaped chicken nuggets. There are some people that are such huge fans that there's actual fan merchandise. For nuggets? Mm Mm-hmm. Dinosaur nuggets have inspired people to make jewelry, clothes, Christmas ornaments, and stickers. Christina Gonzalez of Springfield, Missouri, says she scours the freezer aisles during most 
grocery trips to stay current with dinosaur nugget designs. Last fall, her company, Chris Kisses Creations, all, all with K's, started selling clay dinosaur nugget earrings, one Tyrannosaurus Rex and one Stegosaurus to a pair on Etsy for $12.99. Within a week, they became bestsellers, surpassing popular earring designs like sushi rolls and cinnamon rolls. Who buys these earrings? Promise me you're never going to wear anything like that. Uh, I don't know who buys this stuff and who eats these nuggets. I don't think I even want to know, really. Probably not. <laughs> Stay as far away from me as possible. <laughs> There's a, another company, Farm Rich. They were developing their Mandalorian-inspired cheesy potato tots. The company's expertise in manufacturing pointy edges has improved. The cheese bites launched in May are shaped like the head of Grogu, commonly known as Baby Yoda. Engineers worked through multiple iterations to achieve the long, pointy ears. I can see for children. Well, that's, it does say in the beginning of the article, I didn't mention this, that, that the main thing is children's parents buying them for their fussy eater kids that they don't know how to teach how to eat real food. Mm-hmm. Take the easy way out. But I guess sometimes they have to if they're working. I guess. real busy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's to get fussy kids to eat them. But then there's a whole group of adults that are fans too. Right. And I changed my mind. I would not eat Baby Yoda's head. Yeah, that would be awful. It's stupid. <gasps> all right. Coming up next, we have Chef John Robin. And that's all, folks. Ramen is the ultimate comfort food. And Booyah Ramen on the 900 block of Central Avenue is my go-to. It's so freaking good. The broth is like a silky blanket to warm up your mouth. And the hearty proteins, or just mushrooms for vegetarians, it'll have you saying, Ooh, mommy. The umami is making my eyes roll back in my head. My favorites are the pork belly and the short rib. Mmm. And then there's the noodles. O-M-G. Go get the best ramen in St. Pete at Booyah Ramen at 911 Central Avenue in the Edge District of downtown St. Pete. Do ya, Booyah? Barbecue. It's what's on the menu. Here in St. Pete, we have a special place that's unlike any other barbecue joint. Dr. Barbecue is a restaurant for foodies. Dr. Barbecue is also the dude that's a barbecue hall of famer that won over 400 competitions. We'd say he knows a thing or two about barbecue, but let's hear from the man himself. Hey, it's Ray Lampy, Dr. Barbecue. A couple of years ago, after almost 40 years of cooking barbecue, I decided to open a restaurant and St. Petersburg was the perfect spot. I'd been living here for 10 years, so why not? At Dr. Barbecue's, we cook all our meats the old school way in our huge smokers over oak wood, low and slow. Even the most critical experts agree that we've got the best barbecue in town. But it's not just about the meats. We've got great house-made sides, handcrafted sandwiches, and even a healthy selection of vegan and vegetarian options. Add in a really fun brunch, two bars, and a friendly staff, and I think you'll be glad you joined us. We're at 1101 First Avenue South in the Edge District, right by the roundabout. Get yourself to Dr. Barbecue, pronto. We first met our guest back in 2016 when he took over one of the smallest kitchens in St. Pete at Trist Gastro Lounge, and he's currently responsible for upping the food game at Trophy Fish. Please welcome Chef Jonathan Robin. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes. I was formal on the intro because you go by John normally, yeah. 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 <laughs> J-O-N. No H. It's just fun to say Jonathan. Right. Yeah, but when I hear the full name, I think I'm in trouble. It takes me back to childhood. <laughs> right, right, right. 
So I'm guessing that the kitchen at Trophy Fish isn't too large either. I have, I can quote my uh, favorite uh, refrigeration specialist. Uh, he saw me working at Trophy Fish. He goes, you really enjoy small kitchens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't really seen the inside, but you can kind of, when you go to the window to order, you can kind of peek in and see. It looks like it's maybe a little bigger than Trist, though. Um, yeah, as far as overall layout, uh, but we did have some annex space in the back at Trist, which we don't have here. Ah, okay. So, um, no, it's it's when it says it's a galley, it's very much like a mid-sized ship galley. For sure. <laughs> Pretty cool. Not uh, like the galley restaurant. Right. It's it's a food truck without wheels. That's, <laughs> <what I> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so we'll get more into Trophy Fish on the later part. Uh, first, a little bit more about you. Uh, if your Facebook is telling the truth, you are a Florida native. Uh, that is true. My family, uh, Don's from the Midwest. Uh, they moved here when I was a few months old. So oh, wow. we moved to Cape Coral, Florida, where I was raised, and then I moved to St. Pete to go to school and been here ever since. So I consider myself a pretty much born and raised Gulf Coast uh, Florida cool. boy. So when did you come to St. Pete? 2003. I went to Ecker College. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. And you just fell in love and decided to stay? Mm-hmm. Both with the city and my wife. <laughs> That's another good reason to stay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, have you always been in culinary? Was that always the plan? Or no, actually, I was a biology degree for a few years, and in that time, I, I kind of that was it was a pre med track, and I realized that as much as the science was interesting to me, and I was doing well by it, I I did not have passion for it in high school and college. My summer job was actually nothing culinary or nothing science. It was a uh, Finished carpentry, and I was putting up baseboards and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I think from that experience, and then being in school, I realized I needed a job where I was fabricating. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I needed to be able to just create things with my hands. There you uh, go. So I've always been passionate about food. Come from a, uh, I'm the youngest of four, and we're all very avid cooks, and uh, we really love family meals. We grew up, you know, dad would work at the grill, mom would be on the oven. Once my uh, siblings were in school, they were traveling, starting to experience things like, you know, this is the 90s, so all of a sudden my brother brings back olive oil. Never had that before. Oh, wow. And then once we start all start traveling abroad, we share those experiences and flavors. So, yeah. So definitely always had that passion for it. So, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I was like, you know what? Thought about it. You know, I have a pretty good palate. Let me get out there and try working and just started working my way through it and work my way up. So you work. So you... You gained your knowledge just by doing. Self-taught, yeah. Right, no, right. No culinary school. Right. Cool. So, Many great chefs have done it that way. Mm-hmm. So you got married in February 2020 to Katie mm-hmm. after being in a relationship for 13 years. That's correct. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. So does it, that mean we're going to get hitched someday, honey? <laughs> <laughs> There's no rush. There's, There's no, no rush. rush. We're fine. <laughs> but we did get very lucky given our final, <laughs> we finally set a wedding date and we beat the pandemic by a month. Oh, wow, wow. you did. Yeah, just in time. So did getting married change things much after being together for that long? Uh, just our filing of taxes. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And do you have any pets? Uh, yeah. Uh, we have our uh, 10-year-old Australian Shepherd, Maddie. It's a love of our oh, life. Cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, less than fur babies. We're talking actual babies, hopefully sometime yeah. in the future here. Uh, but, but no, you know, we have a happy life where we like to cook together at home and go out to the park and just enjoy each other's time. So nice. if you have a baby, are you going to make homemade baby food? Uh, I mean, I'm a realist, you know, <laughs> time is, time is precious. So right. we'll see. All right. I'll tell you one of the tricks I, I figured out 
when I was, uh, we were talking before we came on air, we were talking about me learning some culinary stuff and I'm really enjoying it. And, and I made a car- carrot puree from scratch and I used it for my plating. And then I, and then I start looking up purees online to see what else I can do. And everything keeps coming up. Baby food, baby food, baby food. I'm like, shit, man, I can just buy baby food. I don't have to make this puree. <laughs> I think your puree probably tastes better than the Gerber. Tastes way better. <laughs> Looks cool in the photo. Right, right. But yeah, it definitely tastes way better. So what does Katie do? She actually, uh, she had a first part of her career out of school. She was in uh, marketing. Mm-hmm. She spent a good time at uh, Trade Winds Resort and a few other projects. And in that time, she uh, realized she wasn't getting fulfilled. So she actually uh, got uh, her undergraduate uh, prereqs done so she could go get her master's in speech language pathology. So, oh, wow. Wow. So she's uh, practicing SLP right now, right here in town. That's great. So, like, what what does she what does that actually mean? What does she actually do? What, she specializes in chil- children. Okay. So, uh, usually developmental and or medical challenges. You know, not so just speech, but feeding. Needs. Yeah, fe- and feeding. You know, uh, aiding that. Um, Is yeah, she in, and, in a particular school or uh, no? So she's a uh, she's at home visiting. Obviously, ah. that was oh, wow. during the pandemic. Though they had to adapt to telehealth. Mm-hmm. Right. So trying to wrangle special needs children <laughs> via webcam, you know, to do difficult yeah. therapies was probably a, a pretty big challenge. So totally. Right. Right. And let's go back to your, to your dog. You said uh, Australian shepherd. shepherd. Mm-hmm. Is that the blue Merle coat? She's a, she's a red and brown Merle. Okay. Kind cool. of cool. She's got like grays and you can see her right there. Aww. Yeah. She's a pretty dog. Oh, we have to show him Lola. She's yeah. our, our tiny little chihuahua is a blue Merle coat. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, and She's, and and the two the three most common comments are, oh, you have such a pretty dog, and number two is, that reminds me reminds me of an Australian shepherd, shepherd. Yeah. and number three is, what kind of dog is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's awfully pretty. So, what was twenty twenty like for you? So, uh, well, it was for me personally. It was man, I've joined this restaurant group. I'm really excited to, you know, we kind of came in there to, uh, up the food quality and, uh, experience for the guests and, you know, kind of, uh, get our costs uh, in line, uh, myself and, uh, my fellow uh, manager at the restaurant is, uh, Julio Hernandez. He's the bar manager there. Right. Mm-hmm. We've met and, him. um, yeah, so we were, we were doing a great job. We were killing it, starting to approach season, getting geared up for it. I got married and then March 2020 happened. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, full lockdown, um, uh, as you, I don't know if the viewers are familiar, but our, our company is not just Trophy Fish. We're also uh, Mandarin Hyde in downtown St. Pete and Mandarin uh, Heights and Seminole Heights in Tampa. Right. So all bars were closed. So um, those concepts had to shut down temporarily. Um, basically, all managers came to work at Trophy Fish mm-hmm. uh, oh, wow. doing to-go only program. Uh, Julio uh, had this awesome uh, idea, which we executed very well, is how do we get our craft cocktails out to our guests? Mm-hmm. Totally. So he took, we took uh, vacuum sealing bags, made pouches so you could have your spirit, your mixer, and your garnish sealed, ready to go. So you could take it home and easy one, two, three, mix it nice and yep. enjoy your craft cocktails. That's awesome. Yeah. We were, um, I re- we talked to, to Liz about this too when we she did, was on. We did, yeah. But I can remember back then, you know, everyone's trying to figure out, what. okay, what are we going to do? And one of the things that we came up with uh, that was really just huge pain in the ass but we're like okay we have to try to help as much as we can we're always we always want to help restaurants in any way we can 
So we came up with this gigantic list of who's open and in what way, what are they offering, takeout, delivery, whatever. And oh, I, think, I forgot about that list, and I th- man. I think I have PTSD from but I think, it. But I think, <laughs> God. I think Liz was one of the first people to contact us. Yeah, I think one of the first ones that we saw that came up with that idea. I don't know if you guys were the first one that came up with it or what, but you were the first one we saw. Uh, I, I will say that. He, he got uh, Julio, I believe, from browsing Instagram, saw a bartender in Mexico City doing this program. Oh, wow. I started this program during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. that was his inspiration to do it. So I believe immediately in the city we were the, the first to approach that. Yeah, idea. cool. Right. So yeah, so we were post, posting up for Liz with photos of the right. the drinks to go and we whatnot. Um, so I did notice also from your Facebook, and you mentioned it earlier, international travel and experiencing different food things. Do you have any favorite trips, domestic or international, uh, that were interesting food experiences? I'm actually, personally, I'm somewhat limited just from the nature of working. I'm kind of a workaholic, and uh, I tend to live vicariously through others. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 my flavor profile tends to really, a lot of it reflects like Southeast Asia, which I haven't had the Ooh. opportunity to go to. Mm-hmm. But um, Sounds like for me, I, I have traveled bits of Europe. Uh, I was in, a, I got to travel the majority of Italy mm-hmm. and all the different regions there and their nice. different in- ingredients. And uh, also, we're, my family... Their lineage comes from Slovenia, which is right on the shores of the Adriatic with Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was actually pretty awesome. I remember one great experience there is uh, we were in the Julian Alps. And it's during the summer, so it's nice hiking weather. There's It's normally very heavy with winter sports, obviously, in, in the, at that time of year. But So we were hiking, and we found the shed where they had this awesome soup, which was like a base of sauerkraut and potatoes and our sausage, we call kibasi. Yeah. And uh, I tasted it, and... My mother's side of the family is from Cleveland, and they had a butcher who made kibasi. And I, Kevin Laurie, it tasted exactly the same. Oh, I, wow. And wow. That was probably one of the coolest things halfway around the world, divided by generations, maybe a couple hundred years of, but the recipe was tasted exactly the same. That's so cool. Have yeah. you have you ever had kibasi? I haven't. Funny. Bring, I grew up with, yeah, you can bring some, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's different. It's, it's way more garlicky and way deeper smoke red than like Ooh. Polish kielbasa. Right, so. the Polish is the yeah. one I'm used to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. as a kid, we would have that. For some reason, we had it every, we'd have the Easter eggs, you know, your hard-boiled eggs and kielbasa was like our Easter. Really? Oh, yeah, see? Reason. No, that we would, they would take the baskets to get blessed. I, I was, I'm lapsed, but we were raised Roman Catholic. But yeah, they would take the baskets to get blessed. We would actually get the whole horseradish root and grate that with it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, the kibasi would be in there. And, cool. Yep, so you were raised too, right? Yeah. 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 Well, my grandparents uh, were Italian. Right. And and we were, uh, yeah, Roman Catholic raised. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Not, no. It's a thing. <laughs> Is that Last where the feast of the, seven, <laughs> feast of the seven fishes comes from too? <laughs> well, that's Christmas, I believe, right? That's Christmas, yes, yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. So I saw one... Thing, one place that you worked besides Trist and Trophy Fish that I already knew was at Sea uh, Hags for a couple of years? Quite a bit, actually. So that was my first restaurant job as a cook. Mm. I went in there and met with the chef, uh, Dave Arnold. He's no longer, I don't believe he even works in the state or works as a chef anymore, but pretty pretty interesting guy himself. He was about in his mid-50s, had this giant walrus mustache, so you, couldn't, you could only tell by his <laughs> eyes what, what emotion he was expressing at the time, but... A face he, mask without a mask. Yep, exactly. <laughs> he was ahead of his time. You're right. Um, but excellent operator. He wasn't classically trained, but definitely a man that knew his stuff. So he brought me on as a cook. And three years there at that location, worked my way up uh, to the point where we would be a sous chef uh, to then go open. Uh, the original owners that had opened Sea Hags opened the Toasted Monkey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So went there uh, to Toasted Monkey. And then um, 
they sold Seahags to the, the new current owners who have opened multiple locations. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I, would, I went back there to work for them and my old sous chef who became chef. And then in the next year or so, I, I, he had moved on and I made my way up and that was my first kitchen I ran for about three years. So that's pretty cool. Wow. So is it just then the, the three or are we missing some, something? Uh, no, I, I had a stint in opening Hofbrau house where I went to Chicago and trained a bit. And, oh, wow. Cool. You know, that was an interesting experience, but it just it ultimately wasn't a good fit, but right. But no, primarily was that, that was, that was my sea hags was my pretty much first seven, eight years culinary. And then oh, wow. tryst for about just under three and then right. finding uh, trophy, trophy fish. fish yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. I do remember now that you worked at Hopper house. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a, a hot second. I, I, I garnered some great relationships from there. Uh, the executive chef, I was the executive Sue, uh, Kaiser Morales. He went back to, he's right now chefing in Chicago where he's from. He f- came from that location. We're best friends. Like he was at my wedding. And so are they based in Chicago? They're uh, the original. So they are franchised. I actually believe the Chicago one closed as well post-pandemic. Mm. I believe the first franchise opened in Las Vegas. Mm. Ah, okay. And I believe that one's still running and operating. Okay. But, uh, cool. But yeah, so, but to go back to it, yeah, Sea Hags was, you know, uh, I have a lot of fond memories of there that, that taught me volume. It was a very busy restaurant, very popular, right. uh, mm-hmm. both in season, off season. And, but it was still a scratch kitchen. There was no corners were cut. You oh, know, wow, all, cool. all dressings from scratch, the fish, uh, you know, we were known for having one of the best group of sandwiches cause we brought it in fresh every day from the, the local purveyors and in season I was butchering, this is not exaggeration, a thousand pounds of grouper a week. Wow. Wow. So. That's pretty awesome. If I worked in a restaurant kitchen, I'd have to work in the slowest restaurant. You would, for sure. <laughs> he is the slowest cook I've like, ever seen. Like if the recipe says this takes 30 minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm going to need an hour. And a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny. In that same kitchen, I asked, I was executing something. It's my first year. The chef's like, you need to do that faster. I'm like, well, chef, I want to make sure it's correct. Which you want, correct or faster? He goes, both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, obviously, we're going to talk about trophy fish on some stuff there. We already talked about some of the food stuff. We'll talk about some more food anyway. We talked with Liz, but I want to talk about the book that John brought, The Whole Fish Fish. Cookbook, which is pretty cool. And that might tie in nicely into uh, topics on farmed versus fresh and frozen versus not frozen. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. As a St. Pete Foodies listener, you should also check out the Zest podcast from WUSF Public Media. You know, the Tampa NPR folks. Every Thursday, host Dahlia Colon shares everything from food history to the best restaurants you haven't tried. There's recipes you'll want to try and a different slice of our state's foodie scene. The key lime actually is native to Southeast Asia. The English sailors were called limeys when they found out that they put it in their barrels of water to get rid of that brackish well-watered taste, they uh, didn't get scurvy anymore, so they wanted them in all their ports in the tropics, so they took the seeds and planted them. So that's how we ended up with key limes down here. We invite you to listen to The Zest on your favorite podcast app or at thezestpodcast.com. Tell Tell them St. Pete Foodie sent you. St. Pete is all about local, and this year we celebrate a local legend's 25th anniversary. Roland Oates Market and Cafe was founded in July of 94 by Bert Swain and Larry Schwartz. From the beginning, Roland Oates has made a commitment to provide St. Pete customers with the finest quality organic whole foods, nutritional supplements, and body care products 
at the most reasonable prices possible. And now they have a South Tampa location too. We go there for many items, but they are the only place that we go to buy our raw probiotics and other supplements. They have the best organic whole food selection in town, and on the flip side of that, they also offer a fantastic selection of wines and an unparalleled selection of local craft beer. Rollin' Oats has a cafe, open daily, which offers delicious sandwiches, burgers, soups, salads, bowls, wraps, entrees, and fresh-made smoothies, along with a variety of prepared and packaged take-home meals located in the market itself. Do you pride yourself with supporting local businesses? Well, put your money where your mouth is and get on into Rollin' Oats today. Rollin' Oats St. Pete is located at 2842 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Street North. And in South Tampa, you'll find them at 1021 North McDill Avenue. Check them out on the web at rollinoats.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-N oats.com. And Rollin' Oats offers online ordering with curbside pickup. We are back! We are back! We are back with Chef John Robin from Trophy Fish. And Trophy Fish opened back in 2018. And back then, when Laura Riley was still the Tampa Bay Times food critic, she said, it's one half no frills fish shack where fish freshness is everything. And it's one half high end and cerebral cocktails with a historical tiki nautical vibe. It's a very good description. Yeah. Well, it's Laura Riley. I think I write good and then I read her stuff. I'm like, damn it. But you guys, it's an outdoor space. It's dog friendly. There's a uh, live music most of the time and it's kind of like being at the beach without being at the beach mm-hmm. right in the grand central district right at 2060 central avenue and we liked trophy fish from the beginning and more recently but, we love but, but the first time we went let's be completely honest first of all i hate the heat so an open air concept for me it's like i got to go in you know it's a little bit less hot outside yeah. but i know you guys have misters and fans and all that oh, stuff yeah, yeah. but I, I totally understand that, yes. that is, this time of year is a challenge for it's, that for, it's for an gotta be, early yeah. process but uh i thought it was okay i hated the silverware i hated the you know yeah. the, the plates and i thought the food was good but i it right. didn't wow us right. then we went back <laughs> after you had come, come along and we did not know this so when <laughs> so when you arrived at trophy fish what did you think? Like, okay, this is good. This has to go. We got to do this. So one of the best pieces of advice as hospitality manager, you always want to experience a space before you go to apply to, to work there. Right. Because is this something, is it a good environment? What right. is their What is their concept? What are they trying to execute? So I went as a guest before I actually went to, to interview mm-hmm. for a position. And I remember excellent service. Uh, yeah, cocktails were on point. Professional bartenders, excellent craft, um, and the food was I know fish, and it was extremely fresh. But it was just rice and beans and coleslaw and right. fish, and you know it was basic. I would not remember this meal. Mm-hmm. You know, you want this cocktails I will remember the garnish, right. the ingredients, the the mm-hmm. flavor that you're left with. But I felt like the food was kind of lacking that. So when I went to we approached each other for the position to be there, I I said I believe that as a company. You know, their first founding was Mandarin Hyde almost 10 years ago. And Mm -hmm. the owners being not a hospitality group had the foresight to open the first craft cocktail bar or one of the first craft Mm -hmm. cocktail bars in Tampa Bay. Oh, it was. Yeah. That's very exciting to me as a as a chef Mm -hmm. and as a hospitality manager uh, that they did that, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I felt like the food should reflect that the food should they should complement each other. They should have a dialogue. 
So like that review said, you know, you have this and this, in my opinion, you never in any single space or concept or store, you want both your libations and your food to have a, a, a dialogue. Yeah. yeah. You want mm-hmm. them. One thing you mentioned my time at Trist, I, I got to work with some excellent talent there and we actually would do that when mm-hmm. we did menu development, we would do right. flavor right. tasting together and you guys had seen we some know. Of our yeah. Yeah. Know, and we would do those things. Yeah. So, right. So when I came on, I said, let's do this. So we have, uh, in that our first six months, I started in the fall of, uh, 2019, uh, Julio and I would work very hard at, uh, he would bring in different reps and different, um, uh, for different spirits and he would design cocktails behind it. And I might cool. design some appetizers behind that. So, and then just again, have that dialogue happen. So, right. It's not okay. Food stuff that's over here. Drink stuff that's over there. No, we're working together. Right. Right. So that was definitely the first challenge. And then the second was just all logistical challenges. As we talked about, it's a very small kitchen. You had talked about all those things. So my first special, I think I did a, a jambalaya and it wasn't just like, I'm not going to put this on the menu, but I was, I have these ingredients we have to use up. Let's do this. And I remember going to plate the special and these fiberboard trays they used to have. I right. went, wow, <laughs> this looks like absolute garbage. Yeah. I, it's, you know, that, that pardon me crass, but that polishing and turret, it's still going to look like that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we, we worked very actually hard at trying to find a environment, environmentally responsible plate that was attractive. So uh, there's this product being made called palm leaf press plates mm-hmm. where they literally take the palm leaves and process them and press them cool. to hold shape. And uh, yeah, it's a plate I'm happy with. Uh, so much better. Plate. Yeah. And the silverware is so much better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're still looking for another silverware. It, they are better now, but we're looking for something that's a little less wasteful too. So, right. Uh, so it, it is the, disposable for the, the, those of you that the, don't know. And so the reason being is the kitchen is so small, we actually yeah. don't have a dishwasher. Right. So that is, oh, wow. we, that's why, you know, we have a three compartment sink and that's it. And some restaurants in the past have gotten away with that, but there's zero space. So if we had a full service where we can serve up to a few hundred guests, it's just, it's unfe- it doesn't not work. feasible. It doesn't you work. Know, yeah. Uh, there's, I get there's it. very, if I think it's less than 300, 250 square feet of interior space that we have. So, But what you have accomplished took that all out of my mind. Like, I, I, I don't feel like I'm not eating with real utensils awesome. and, and plates. It's, the, it's a different, whole different yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, feeling. That's awesome that you guys recognize that uh, because that definitely was. That was the first challenge. I recognized all of those things when we went. Some people in our Facebook group would say you're pretentious. Some would. Yeah. Well, I think the devil's in the details, though. That's, you know, part of those things like when you go, you know, uh, I'm tr- let me look up. You had a guest on here, one of the, the Mr. Jacob Lindsay. Yes. That yes. was great. That was a great podcast, by Thank the way. You. What an interesting oh, guy, at, too. Um, he had said, like, there's those unspoken things, you know, sometimes just like, why did I not enjoy that experience? But, right. And it's just so many details that a guest will not think mm-hmm. of, you know, and or some that are more obvious. Yeah, like your plate where and silverware but right yeah i mean I, it's part about the whole experience it's not just what you put on that plate it's Correct. about that's something else uh rob bowen said as well about mm-hmm. social roost when we had them on right so, yeah right he said almost that exact same thing jacob Lindsay. that's you know at the time he's more than anata and uh right now they now. have 400 beach but it's funny we were talking about the small kitchen at anata too mm-hmm. yeah and, and he was saying chefs figure it out Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. I actually have that written down because I'm like, that's actually 100% correct. Uh, yes. That is something that is. The other thing that I really 100% agree with is the community over competition with the restaurants in this in this town. Totally. It is 100% correct. I remember when Stillwater, when I was at Trist, Stillwater opening, they came over. 
like chef, do you have any avocados? And absolutely. There you go. What else do you need? You know, it's, you know, it's not, I personally believe that you'll breed more ingenuity and more creativity when you don't have that kind of mindset. I mean, I'm as arrogant as any other chef, but (laughs) I've never, I I pride myself in in looking at more of the team aspect rather than myself and and putting my name out there. I'm not out at front as much as a lot of the other ones, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I think just that community sense is, is one reason why this town's great and going to get, become even greater. Yes, Yes, totally. Absolutely. Totally. So we did talk a lot about the food with Liz. Mm -hmm. I don't want to totally leave it out, but are there any things about the menu or on the menu that you would like to highlight? So again, we talked about elevating. So what, what does that mean? We don't want to be pretentious, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're also, though we're working in an outdoor only space, we have disposable plateware, but we're working with proteins that are frankly more uh, expensive than the filet mignon. Wow. We have guests say, man, this, this grouper plates, 25, 50 or whatever. I go, well, that grouper costs that same price point. What would you pay for a six ounce filet mignon at your favorite steak restaurant? You know, right. mm-hmm. like almost 40 something, $50. So, right. So how do we put it? It was about giving value to the guest, giving them the flavorful experience. So, right. uh, things we did, you know, we still have your, uh, day boat, fresh catch plates. Mm-hmm. Where we feature the locally caught fish and that dozens of species we've brought in just to, uh, have that kind of diversity where they pick their seasoning preparation. Uh, one thing I'm very proud of on the menu, uh, the uh, old guard had a citrus rub that was excellent product and actually brought in by savory spy shop down there. If you guys mm-hmm. have been there, go check yeah. it out. But yeah. it was very expensive. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? I think we could make this. So I was paying, watching the bar and with their craft cocktails and they were peeling fruit, but they weren't really doing much else with it. Uh, you know, uh, they didn't have much space for a juicer or anything like that. So I was like, let's try something. So we had this rickety old dehydrator that the bar was kind of messing with doing garnishes. So we sliced up that fruit, dehydrated all the way and took that high speed fruit process, uh, blender and add some more spices, salt, brown sugar. And guess what? Bam, we had gold. It was cool. That for <laughs> me as awesome. a chef looks like a rock star cause it didn't cost me anything on my food costs. Right. You know? so, right. And it was, you know, things that was, might be waste. So mm-hmm. that's something that's a great, you know, textural and flavorful addition, I think. Um, and all the sides are, were kind of elevated, you know, instead of just plain beans and rice, black beans and rice and, and regular coleslaw, we do like a, I try to make all of our sides uh, vegan and or gluten-free approachable too, mm-hmm. you know, um, same thing. Uh, during the pandemic, I came up with the rosemary seasoning because all the different bar concepts had like 12 pounds of rosemary and they brought it to our <laughs> coolers because they had something to do something with it. So right. again, we, we upgrade our dehydrator and that thing's always running. So Rosemary gets dehydrated for that, citrus for our rub. Our hush puppies get garnished with uh, what we call corn dust, which again, corn, a little bit of jalapeno and salt, dehydrated, boom, in the blender, gets dust on top. Sounds like you're having too much fun with that dehydrator. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I wanted one at Trist and I didn't, it wasn't, I, I wasn't allowed to get one. I just didn't get one because it was like something I wanted to play with. It was a tool I hadn't had. Well, so Yeah, that's, a, that's the translation to what I really meant is now I have to get one. Oh yeah, they're they're awesome. Uh, if you I know if what you, you meant. If you research also some of your combi ovens that you can get in your house, they're a little bit more pricey, but they have that option to do because basically that's all it is. It's a it's a low temp convection oven. It's got a little oh, electric cool. element and a fan. That's it, and it has a thermometer. That's cool. that's all it is. So you could actually gear your, probably gear your home convection oven to do the same thing. Okay, or cool. the air fryer instant pot. Yeah, same same yeah, same yeah. thing. You could probably go online and bet you someone's figure out how to, how to do that. Because yeah, and actually we've, so you had, we had talked about this cookbook I brought, The Whole Fish by Josh Neeland, who's an Australian chef who's um, 
he does a lot of uh, nose to tail fish butchery and use utilizing every ingredient, but he does a lot of charcuterie. You know, his thing is fish by treating it like meat because it is mm-hmm. curing, mm-hmm. you know, resting the meat. Uh, he does a lot of charcuterie with it. Uh, and we actually were on the new menu had for a bit and we just couldn't keep up the supply and the space to execute. But we were doing things like we took fresh tuna and marinated it and threw that in the dehydrator. And we actually made, if I didn't tell you it was tuna, I told you it was beef jerky, you'd probably believe me. Oh, wow. wow. So, and then we were doing like our own, you know, we did a uh, cured uh, mackerel. We did, you know, we had octopus, like basically like an octopus terrine. Yeah, we were doing things like that just to show, highlight different techniques on that. But it, it was, cool. it the the supply and uh, did not meet demand. So we kind of took that off just to execute because uh, our last season was, it was great. We were, this new menu that came out in the fall of last year. So getting through COVID, mm-hmm. sorry, kind of bouncing back and forth. We, once we got out of, or we started getting back to a norm somewhat at the end of 2020, it was time because everything was kind of put on hold for at least six months. Right. Mm-hmm. The next game plan is, all right, let's cost this out and let's roll out a new menu. Mm-hmm. So my whole first year there was, and I've done this in every other concept, is you do specials. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You tweak right. your recipes then. You get your staff, both back of house and front of house, uh, familiar with the flavors and, the, and the, the, the dish itself. Then gives you time to work with your uh, bar program mm-hmm. to do pairings and, and whatnot. So by the time we do uh, our, this new menu rollout, 85% of it has already been done and set in stone. So, right. cool. so once we did that, then we got into a, a record-setting season for us. I think given 2021, people were just kind of done with everything. Texas was frozen. You know, no one had anywhere else to go. So every, a lot of people were coming to Florida. So we had a, a, quite a season here. So yeah, uh, but I the, called nice. it the COVID tourist season because yeah. it was totally not at the right time. <laughs> right. But uh, so, but we still attacked it the best way we could. You know, just keeping our staff and our guest safety in mind. You know, mm-hmm. you know, implementing masks as as we should need to. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we're back on that now for staff, just given right. the, the rise of the Delta variant. Yes, so. that's smart. Um, and just implementing, you know, very strict uh, sanitation protocols, you know, door handle washing, you know, all those things, sanitize, you know, frequently throughout service, right. you know. Um, You've had a lot of practice last year, so. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like now at least we know what to do, even though we don't like that we have to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think he was still talking about last I'm year. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were talking about 2021. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm kind of bounced all over the place. He was bouncing, but he was back in 2020, what they did. Right. Yeah, as far as kind of moving along, you know, like how, you know, we navigated, we got through uh, to-go only program. So then, yeah, we got on this new menu. Uh, You asked me initially, though, what I was most proud of. So, again, I think the whole thing, I'm very proud that it's a menu that executes really well, that the whole staff uh, have embraced, you know, and the guests really, it gives them a much more memorable experience, you know, Again, talking about relating my uh, Julio, one of his favorite spirits is mezcal, and I implemented that in our cocktail sauce. You know, nice. A <laughs> that, so, uh, just a little homage to him, and mm-hmm. you know, we uh, we have a smoker on premise, so you know, utilizing that in interesting ways. Obviously, we have our housemate fish bread, which I brought you guys some. It's an amberjack, uh, Yay, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but uh, we utilize it for other things. So, smoked shrimp. I've never done it before. Guess what? It elevates golf shrimp to a whole new new plane it's wow. fantastic so a few dishes that came from that are we have a shrimp burger mm-hmm. so we actually make it cool. grind up make a patty it's awesome comes in a locally made uh like portuguese sweet bun with some of our house made aiolis and 
pickle or cabbage is fantastic. And then the other use you guys have mentioned in our bucatini, our sauce base, is our smoked shrimp and crab miso sauce. Oh, wow. Very yeah. rich, very decadent. Um, not only is that in the bucatini, but if you go to get your fresh ketchup plate, it is an option for one of the sauces on the side. Mm. So. Nice. You're making me very hungry. <laughs> and that I, I know it's probably the most simple thing on your menu, but that corn is just crack. I mean, it is. <laughs> it is freaking crack <laughs> i love that stuff but again uh, that menu comes it's a small space and the menu looks large but if you really broke it apart you see that there's we do a chorizo cream corn so we already have corn right. sometimes we do boils so we had corn right uh we do our clams and corn so we have chorizo cream corn as a oh, side yeah, those Guess are what? so good too let's saute the clams in there because we have clams for bucatini you know like that's right. that's the whole process kind of thought process designing for a small kitchen is how do you cross utilize your ingredients while right. still creating new dishes new you dishes know, right with the precious space that you have totally so when i was preparing for this i was going to try to do a lightning round so i did that with with joel sanchez right mm-hmm try to do an Italian food lightning round. I'm like, okay, maybe I can come up with a seafood lightning round. I couldn't. <laughs> but I came up with something else anyway because I started off by, because th- usually sometimes you can come up with good stuff if you find a topic in food that's like where it's a debate. Like you should do it this way. No, you should do it that way. And then it's, then it's neither or. Lightning round. Didn't get that. But what I did get is there are big debates on Farmed versus fresh mm-hmm. and frozen versus not frozen. All I know, obviously I'm going to get your thoughts on this, John, but just from scanning this stuff real quick, it's like I know we were talking earlier on the, before you were on, John, on the conversational segment about us growing up in the 70s, which was the epitome of like horrible <laughs> processed, like, processed stuff. And from back then, you know, it was like, you know, the frozen fish sticks, mm-hmm. probably not the best stuff. Right. But then later in life, I learned that, you know, a boat might go out fishing for days. So they're flash, flash fresh, freezing right. stuff right away. Mm-hmm. And then, so then like what's fresh, what's not fresh? Well, it's been implied that everything's actually frozen at some point. Or maybe not. Maybe if it's coming right off the boat and going right to the kitchen, right? then that's really fresh. So I can speak to... A lot of those large boat processors are the guys in, in, the, in the large oceans, bodies of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not seeing those, those multi-story ships processing boats, uh, usually in the Gulf. Uh, most of the fishing in the Gulf is either straight hook and line, so rod and reel, mm-hmm. or what they call long line. And those guys go out a little bit further for a few more days, but then everything just gets, usually uh, the fish is then, uh, if they're doing it proper, hopefully they'll just gut the fish and bleed it and then just pack it nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one thing I will say, and I brought this cookbook with Josh Nealon, and I thought it was hilarious that my owners had given me this cookbook because one thing that being a Florida boy, I know is when you catch a fish, you actually, I don't like eating it the same day. <laughs> fish is meat. Right. So that fish is still in shock. Rigor mortis, if you will. Oh. Uh, so I have had, in, in my experience, I've gotten say grouper right off the boat. It was probably swimming two or three hours ago. Mm-hmm. It was darn near impossible to clean. And then once you applied heat to it and cooked it, it was so tough and wow. tasteless. It was not sweet because again, that meat was still stressed. Uh, the chef goes into talking about, like I found that, you know, doing the process I said, you know, make sure you take all the, the entrails right. out that you don't want and, and, and or bleed if that species of fish necessitates that. And then just resting it for like 24 hours, you know, dry and ice cold 
Mm -hmm. You don't sit in water. Mm -hmm. Then you go to clean it and cook it. You find that all the little nuances of flavor come out. Uh, The texture is much more buttery and delicate. Yeah, I I think that's something to approach. Uh, That's one approach on fish. So Mm -hmm. going back to what you said. Mm -hmm. So what's fresh, what's not fresh? Yeah, there is, there is, you know, that has been an issue with people's label of grouper. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a lot of times when people are getting it, is it from Mexico? Has it been processed and frozen, et cetera, et cetera? Is it even grouper? (laughs) <laughs> right, well, exactly. Part of that is the relationship you have with your purveyors and or fishermen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in the area, you know, as a chef 10 plus years now. And also, I'm an amateur angler and, you know, Floridian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I know the telltale signs of properly caught and stored fish, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so if you want to say that make the argument is farm raised better or not, Again, we also have to look at the environmental factors. A lot of farms are very harmful. Yeah, on, on they're the environment. dirty. They're good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, some there are some groups trying to find a more right. eco friendly way of doing right. it. Mm-hmm. Um, fresh versus frozen. You know, again, it's about are they on a responsible fishery? You know, we don't want to make sure we're not tackling one species too hard. You mm-hmm. know, so again, processing too. So let's go to frozen. Um, do you guys enjoy sushi? Of course. Yep. Yep. It's all frozen. And yeah, there you go. But wouldn't you consider that high quality seafood? If you're saying, what's a a quality seafood meal? A good sushi place. Right. Well, to make that fish safe to eat, it has to be frozen. Yes. To To get rid of all the the parasites and small small Mm -hmm. germ, et cetera. So again, but how is it done? Is it done properly? Is it done quickly? Is it, is that again, was that fish handled correctly? So all those things considered. So there's almost like it's semantics. It is. Uh, I, I, it's kind of some, and it's also preconceived notions that you might have. Right. But again, it's in the execution. You know, if, if you've handled the product correctly, there's all. I remember I went for my bachelor party. We de- went down the Keys and we went on a day boat and we caught a bunch of uh, uh, mutton snapper. Fantastic! It's just like r- a red snapper. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And we had a. We were on a bunch. So uh, my brother has a vacuum sealer. You know, oh, cool. those those things were they remove mm-hmm. all the air out. Oxygen is the biggest issue in a freezer. Just mm-hmm. so you know. But literally had it in there, and I had my freezer at home maybe eight months, and again, we were gearing up to move, so I'm like, you know, I'm going to take some to work because, you know, share it with everyone, and everyone's like, this is excellent. I'm like, well, because it was caught, rested a day, cleaned, ice cold, dry, and then super dry, no air in the freezer, and again, retained all the quality, so. That being said, trophy fish has no frozen fish because we just don't have the time for it. As soon as it's on the shelves, it's out. Um, But with that being said, we talked about responsible fisheries. I will say, sometimes I feel like the only word in the vocabulary of our guests, especially if they're out of town, they only know how to say grouper. Right. (laughs) They think Florida, they think grouper. It's excellent fish. Don't get me wrong. It's it's definitely been the majority of my income for you know, mm-hmm. as a chef in the area for seafood. Right. But there's so many other excellent species that people haven't even heard of that are also probably more responsible to fish. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you know, we had black Margate, even a fish I haven't heard of that is something along snapper, but a little firmer and super buttery and delicious. You know, like so many species, you know, there's porgies, mm-hmm. there's cobia, like all these other mm-hmm. fish that are just, you don't see all the time, but they're out there in these waters. It's just, it's fun. That's fun. So when I come, I'm going to say, give me anything but grouper. <laughs> <laughs> no, grouper is still fantastic. And there's, there's all kinds of species of grouper. It's fun to go through the yeah. different ones. You got Kitty Mitchells, you got brownies, you got reds, you have carburetas, you have gags. Black. I mean, true blacks. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, and that's fun too, you know, you're working with those and you get to see the different nuances between the species of like their flavor profiles and textures. Right. Yeah. And going back to uh, farmed, we saw something on, uh, what's the show you watch on Saturday or Sunday? CBS this morning. CBS, yeah. I think the place was in Sarasota where they came up with a uh, very healthy, responsible mm-hmm. way to farm, to farm fish. fish. Yeah. To where it was like, I forget the, I can't describe it properly but they had like this filtration system like the water was always as clean as it could be and yeah. it was at that restaurant that we were supposed to go yeah to. well they featured a restaurant indigenous there, yeah. or something like that i think you're right yeah i think that was the name of the restaurant yeah we'll have to google that when we get yeah. off see if you're right me too because i'm not familiar with the concept so yeah. Yeah. well indigenous is the restaurant but they get all of their fish from this farm and it was actually two separate segments on two separate saturdays yeah. when we heard about the restaurant and then we waited to book a reservation because we knew they were going to get overwhelmed after that. But <laughs> so we haven't gone yet. And then, uh, yeah, we learned about the farm, yeah, it was, and it was really supplier, cool. Yeah. It was really cool. So, farm versus fresh, frozen versus not frozen. The answer is it depends. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So, John, when you transition to trophy fish, and now doing mostly seafood, has your rotation of kitchen knives changed? Uh. You know, uh, not really. Uh, one, you know, I have my go-tos uh, as far as if you're doing your whole fish butchery. You have, uh, uh, if you're talking fish that are over 10 pounds, uh, my fillet knife is actually a, what you would consider like a skinny knife. It's a, it's almost like a C-shape. It's about seven inches long. Uh, oh, wow. My old, my first chef taught me that, and that's it's a way to get a lot of cutting action and minimal space. Uh, then for getting the skin off, you use a very long, what you call a slicing knife or a roasting knife. You know, mm-hmm. like you see a carving station. It's great. Right. Just get the skin right off. And then use your basic kind of utility knife uh, for portioning the fish. You know, something nice and thin and razor sharp. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's just part of the menu. The rest of it's a lot of fresh vegetable work. So right. just, right. you know, if you, right. your preference of a chef knife, Gyotu or Santoku, whatever, whatever that might be. So, mm-hmm. so single bevel double bevel european style japanese style i so uh again it depends on the action mm-hmm. you know uh single bevels are great for single slice like proteins that your your sushi knives are usually of that nature mm-hmm. for one continuous slice for the product to fall away mm-hmm. i because i like to i actually hand sharpen with japanese water stones so cool. I, I maintain my own knives i prefer 50 50 grinds i tend to prefer the the harder japanese steel harder mm-hmm. uh, the the edge is a little steeper it's it's lighter it's thinner you have to be careful with it no frozen things no bones you know but uh it yields a very beautiful edge and 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 they can move through some product pretty quickly so and nice. these it's, it's not so much about that too also the product the, the better the knife the sharper the knife the thinner the knife your product looks better right right yep yeah i found that when i was making dinner last night and you know i had that slice of the uh the red uh, anaheim pepper mm-hmm. as a garnish on top of the rice the first time it like it was slipping like off the waxiness of the outside of the pepper and it was a jagged nasty cut and i'm like nah, that's not gonna work i have to sharpen this knife man <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i had to stop and sharpen the knife trophy fish is at 2060 central avenue in the grand central district of st petersburg and the website is trophyfishstpete.com jonathan robin thank you so much thank, thank you, you guys so for having much. me yeah this was great we'll be right back for one more week and that's it This is Chris Walker.
On the website, we have a new review of a new place in downtown St. Pete that's been open for a few months. It's next to the Ponce de Leon Hotel right by the water at First Street and Central Ave. Novu Bistro and Bar has delicious American and American Italian cuisine, and they are located at 95 Central Avenue. You'll find all of that and a tuna fish sandwich at stpetersburgfoodies.com. Next week on the show, we'll have Chef Mike Crippen. Mike owns the new Studio Public House in the Grand Central District. He is the former chef from Moon Underwater, and he is serving up the same famous curries he made at Moon. If you want to get in touch, drop us an email at info at stpetersburgfoodies.com. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, John Robin. And thanks to our sponsors. Trophy Fish. Dr. Barbecue. Rollin' Oats. The Zest Podcast. Noble Crust. Booyah Ramen. And and Engine Engine Number number 9. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. What kind of fish? What? What kind of fish? I I don't know, the kind you eat a fish. But you don't know what kind? No, I don't. Where'd you get it? What the fuck, at a a fish place. So you just go in there and say, give me a fish? Pretty much, yeah. You didn't say you want a salmon, you want a haddock, you want a... A fucking cod? What the fuck does it matter what kind of fish it was? Why are you so concerned about this I'm fish? I'm just trying to understand how... Does it... How a person can buy a fish and not know what kind it was.